Welcome to People in the Know. I'm Ken Root. Want to talk about farming from an agronomic and economic perspective? I have the guy. You'd never guess his age from his voice and sharp mind, but you will realize that you are listening to experience speaking. Every week on this program, I look for persons who are engaged, enthused, and interactive. And in today's guest, I've found a good one. People in the Know is brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. Your hearing is our priority. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. My guest today is Gene Millard. Gene and I have talked about every year for the last several regarding his farming operation and how well they've done for the year or how many challenges they had. And uh, Gene and I have known each other since 1974 when I became a farm broadcaster. He was the same in St. Joe, Missouri. He went on to be the general manager of KFEQ Radio while increasing his farming through the years. He's a man who can get many things done. And uh, I greatly respect Eugene for so many different areas of your capabilities. And I hope that things are good in the St. Joe, Missouri area. Well, we, we, you know, we can't really complain too much. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people sick of winter right now because we finally had some. But, you know, it's, it's not the first time we had winter in January. And so uh, I try to take that into into consideration and, and kind of remind people that the snow was a lot deeper in 78. Well, you've had fog the last few days, and I recall being in Hutchinson in Wichita, Kansas, when this type of occurrence took place, and it just socks you in, if you will, for days and days and days, but it puts some moisture in the ground, which is not a bad thing. Well, exactly right. Uh, you know, it's been foggy here for about a week at least, and sometimes uh, thicker than others, but, you know, it doesn't really inhibit it. It's too much getting around unless it's real early in the morning. But the thing with it is we, uh, we had the same situation that a lot of people did, a warm December, and the, the ground stayed thawed out, and then we got some moisture there in uh, December, and it got really soft and muddy, and the ground never really did freeze, and then it snowed. And so you've got all this probably seven or eight inches of snow and more than that when it drifted up a place or two. Uh, so it, it's going to, and it, this rain, it's been misting rain at 38 degrees. And so it's melting all that snow pretty fast and it's running off or soaking in to where it's even muddier than it was before. So if you're out there with uh, livestock, uh, and you're trying to feed cows out in the pasture, uh, it's pretty muddy. It's just really uh-huh. soft. And my son is taking care of our cattle operation, and, well, it, it's got to the point where he said, I just hate cows. You know, it's just <laughs> frozen waters there for about 10 days, a week or 10 days when it's down below zero. And the water drink itself would stay off with the heater, but the line underneath it would freeze. And it yeah. just was a battle to keep water to livestock there for about a week or 10 days. If you drive through the countryside and you wonder why you don't see any livestock, um, I think that's the reason. If people can yeah. make it on crops, they will leave livestock. We saw that happen 
right after 1972's Russian grain deal. Um, I recall people complaining in the 90s about the beginning of these huge hog farms. Why on earth do we have those? Why don't we have hogs grown on farms? Well, I was driving through the Midwest at the time, and every farm had a feeding floor of some type on it. They had had hogs, but they left the hogs, and that left a void that was filled, simple as that, because wintertime and livestock can be really miserable unless that's your total occupation and that's what you commit yourself to. Well, you'd have to have a you gotta have a total passion for it, and and in our particular farming operation, it's definitely a, a minor part of the total. Uh, it's it's a matter of utilizing some ground that really is not suitable for row crop ground. And I see so many pastures around this area where the fence has been taken out, and it's rented off to somebody to come in there and spray it down, kill it off, and no-till some beans in there. And it's really poly ground that should not in my opinion, uh, be in crop production. I mean, it, it's more suitable for, for livestock and, and some forage production. So it's it's just a catch-22. You know, we don't have one of those perfect levels as a, as a basketball court floor or farm like in parts of Iowa or Illinois. And, uh, you know, we've got some decent laying fields, but some, you know, areas of breaks just didn't, Mother Nature didn't treat us that way. So we got to deal with where we are and where we're at. I have a goddaughter in uh, Alfalfa County, Oklahoma. Her parent, parents and I are very good friends. They had this young woman when they were in college, and she's now 50 years plus. And uh, she and I talk from time to time. And uh, she says that their rough ground in her part of the area of the state is all being bought up by people who want it as hunting preserves as places where they can go hunt and uh, she's anti that to a degree because you can't really you know utilize the grass there but at the same time you know that avoids what you just said about people going in to ground that shouldn't be farmed and farming it this gives uh, somebody with money a chance to own and keep it in the vegetation it originally was yeah and that and that's happening around this geography as well uh, particularly if it's in the smaller tracks, like uh, 20 or 40 acre tracks, or maybe an 80 that has got some timber on it, a creek running through it, a little bit of grass ground, uh, hay ground, and uh, you know, then the realtors are are always pumping up about great wildlife traffic. You know, how many deer are out there? Well, you know, in our particular case, we've got way too many deer. We'd like to see about two thirds of them gone. I mean, it's just nice to see one once in a while, but not when they're jumping and tying up fences yeah. and eating the outside row of every field corn that's out there. Yeah. Well, there's there's no true balance here. I wanted to ask you, Gene. Uh, I have billed you as the America's dissatisfied farmer, and the uh, reason yeah. that you've said that is because you never make uh, as much of a crop or never have the kind of year that it would be perfect so you continue to strive for better. That's why you're dissatisfied. But how was the crop year 23 for you? Crop year 23 was probably, if not the best, the second best year ever, and especially for corn. Uh, for some reason, the rains were just exactly timed right because we were dry. Uh, we ended up, uh, I think, almost five inches 
below normal on, on rainfall for this area. So we were always on the edge of drought, always on the edge. And we got in the drought zone on the map several times. But uh, the corn yield, well over 200, uh, about everywhere. We never had a corn field any, anywhere. Uh, and, of course, the ground is not all the same. Uh, that was under 200, so it went from there to 250. And so, you know, we we just had the best corn yield ever. And it dried wow. down in the fall, so it just uh, was was a lot easier to handle this year. Soybeans were a little bit disappointing. They were good. Uh, but they were set for having a, a really excellent and not a record yield. But we had about a week of 100-degree weather in August. And that was just the wrong time to have a week of 100-degree weather because uh, that's when the the best maturity beans were setting the pods and, and filling. And so there was just a lot of two-bean pods instead of threes. And so you end up with uh, above average but not mm-hmm. a record soybean crop. Well, August is your key month, isn't it, for yield on the soybeans? You may it is. get them into it the is. flower stage, but when you get to August, they got to have some weather to give them a chance. Yep, yep. It's, I remember the best bean yield way back when. We had 20 inches of rain in August, and then it dried up in September. Oh, Whoa, that's a, per, that's, that's a perfect resume, you know. So it doesn't always work that way. Uh, we're just glad to get one along the way. We did get the rain in September that, you know, kept them alive. But, uh, you know, we had 60, 62 bushel, you know, beans, which is mm-hmm. very, very good for us and well above the 10-year average. But, you know, the table is set to have some 75. We hear about these 75 and 80-acre yields, which, you know, I think in the right conditions we can do that. But it wasn't this year. Whether it affects you or not, I'd like to ask you a question about the landowners who are cash renting cropland after that kind of year. Are they uh, asking for more money? Well, it depends on how well they've been informed, I think. Uh, you know, some landlords are fairly, you know, kept current with what the conditions are and their expectations. Uh but, you know, a lot of them have not been well-informed in terms of the costs, the input costs of fertilizer and ag chemical and seed, uh, that inflation of in machinery costs, repairs and maintenance, utilities and fuel, and insurance. Golly, all of that is just, uh, you know, accelerated immensely. So uh, there's a point at which, you know, you have to have those kind of yields in order for the operation to continue to sustain itself and their understanding, I think. Now, you know, I think this is why there's been an increase in the number of flex rents and uh, that there's just not, a, uh, you know, the, the old crop shares are pretty well gone, so everybody wants cash. And so it's a matter of how you arrive at the cash that is fair and equitable between the landowner and the operator. We keep a historical spreadsheet, uh, as you would say, on our mm-hmm. total corn sales, total soybean sales, and total cattle sales, and total chemical costs, and so forth, down the line. And we keep that on from we have it from, from 2010 through 2023. And mm-hmm. 
The average price of corn in that 14-year period of time is $4.93. Well, now it's $4.25, So we're below the 10-year average. And soybeans, the 10-year average is about 11, uh, what was it, 11.55, something like that. 14-year average is 10.95. And uh, so we're we're a little above that yet on 10-year average on soybean prices, but not on corn. Property taxes are up 25%. Seeds up 30%. Fertilizer is up 25 Chemicals up 50%. Health insurance up 50%. And the cost of a combine has doubled. I think, folks, you just heard why Gene and his family have been successful operators. You're a spreadsheet guy. I've known that with you from the first oh. time I met you. You I'm look at all that. these inputs. Well, uh, somebody's got to do it, you know. And uh, yeah. if you don't do it, you don't know where you are, and you don't know what your uh, situation is going to be, and it's kind of luck. So you you aim things, in my view, about as well as any farmer I know, because you're understanding that you've got a lot of variables that you've got to do your best to control to get that crop to be the yield that you desire if weather cooperates. And then, of course, you got to market it after that. Right. And I was kind of right. wondering about marketing. How do you feel crop prices are and what do you think lies ahead? Well, I tell you what, Ken, I can tell you exactly right now. You know, the average uh, sale price that we had of soybeans in 2023, which some of them were contracted early, and some of them were contracted during the growing season. And uh, the average selling price uh, that we did in 23 was $14.04. Well, the current uh, available price for a bushel of soybeans is a little bit under 12 so that's over a $2 uh, bushel decline. And on 60 bushel beans, that's $120 an acre less revenue in 24. And on corn, our average price that we got for corn in 23 was $6.66. Now, currently, you can't get 450 So that's over a $2 a bushel decline in corn. And with 200 bushel corn, that's $400 an acre less revenue. So you've got to inform the landowners a little bit about how much less revenue is going to take place out there in 24. And uh, costs have not declined hardly an iota. Seed is the same. The only thing that's dropped a little bit is fertilizer. I don't think ag chemical has changed that much. And Certainly, repairs haven't changed, and everything else that goes in the operation has retained, you know, a very high level of inflated values. And the general inflation of the economy is said to be 17% over the last three years, just just three years, up 17% in just living costs. So there you go. Try to figure it out, how you're going to work the averages. In other words, it boils down, you have to have record yields. I'm talking to Gene Millard, who is uh, a farmer in northwest Missouri. He is in the St. Joe area, and he's been in radio, as you can tell by his voice, uh, his adult life, uh, and managed radio stations as well. And we're going to talk more with Gene in just a moment. Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker. 
president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, are there widely used medications that can negatively impact our hearing? Great question, and yes, there are. There are over 200 prescribed or over-the-counter medications that can attribute to hearing loss. And, you know, when you're looking, when we're talking about, you know, medications, the average person over the age of seven or over the age of 55, excuse me, 72% of people over the age of uh, 55 take at least one drug and two thirds of all drug reaction, adverse drug reactions occur over the age of 60. So you're talking almost three quarters of the you know population over 55 take at least one drug or one medication. You know, we're talking simple drugs from an aspirin regimen. An aspirin regimen, and we're not talking baby aspirin, we're talking regular size aspirin. If you take an aspirin regimen um, five days a week or more, you have an increased risk of hearing loss by 26%. Um, some of the big ones are diuretics. So people that have uh, high blood pressure, kidney disease, um, like the myosin group, you know, erythromycin, vancomycin, that whole myosin group um, can attribute to hearing loss. Um, hydrocodone. Um, you know, um, Oxycontin, you know, um, Rush Limbaugh is the famous one for that because he, you know, got addicted to the Oxycontin and that caused his hearing loss. Then he had to get a cochlear implant. So, you know, and, and he was very honest at, you know, toward the end about what, you know, what caused that, um, chemotherapy drugs. So if anyone has gone through chemotherapy, chemotherapy wreaks havoc, not only on your body, but on your hearing as well. Um, you know, the little blue pill, little blue pill uh, can attribute to hearing loss. So there are, you know, many different, uh, you know, medications, whether they're over the counter prescribed um, that can attribute to hearing loss. So the best thing to do is, is, you know, get with your doctor and the pharmacist to find out what the side effects are. If there are other medications, maybe where certain, um, certain side effects are less with one versus another. And it's just having that open dialogue you know, with your with your providers to really understand are there you know ramifications for the medications I'm taking and sometimes there's just you know there, there's no other choice but to take the medication just understanding um, that it can attribute to hearing loss and, and it's something you need to monitor. Thank you Taylor. Schedule your free hearing screening at Concept by Iowa Hearing. You can reach them at 877-955-4020 or online at iowahearing.com. Gene Millard, as we come into 2024, we're supposed to have a new farm bill that's ready to go, and uh, we don't. In fact, nope. Congress has uh, not done much of anything in these independent bills that they normally pass every three to five years. Um, but yet it doesn't seem to be there's an uproar of fear or, or danger ahead. How do you feel about not having any indication that we're going to even get a farm bill this year? Well, I think what gives a little bit of comfort and why there hasn't been a great deal of uprising is that the in overall, I will say overall, because there's always exceptions, we've had about three good years of relatively good income and ability to uh, build up some cash reserves, build up some cash, uh, you know, some, some improvement in our operating capital and also the extension of the current farm bill. 
which still uh, allows for crop insurance uh, to be a, a, an important part of, of the crop operations. And there's been other programs that have been uh, relatively successful um, in in the current farm bill. Now, they've not been a, all adjusted for inflation, and that's where the hitch comes in, I guess, on the debate, because there, there's, a, there's a move to improve the uh, level of, of uh, commodity prices on the on the PLC and, and ARC uh, aspects of the program, you know, if the prices get down to those levels, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of gnashing of teeth, let me put it that way. Um, so that's why it's needed to have some attention. But it all boils down to the federal budget, and agriculture, production agriculture segment of the Farm Bill is a small part of the whole package. And so you're trying to pass by a lot of different people to get it passed. You mentioned crop insurance, which uh, is remarkably something that has come of age in this century. Pat Roberts was pushing very hard for it in the House and Senate and finally got it in place in the early 2000s. And now you almost said the word vital. Um, Is it something that if you've got money borrowed, you've got to have it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, right now, you know, it, what made the crop insurance thing attractive it is based on revenue. It's based on price and yield. Uh, the, the, the prior, you know, way back when, I didn't buy any crop insurance for because it was based totally on yield. And so it just didn't make any sense because I've got a deal on dollars per acre. And so the current crop insurance structure is adaptable to most of the crop operations, and now it's getting spread into some of the specialty crops too. And there's been some livestock uh, provisions, I think, added into that a little bit along along the way. But it becomes you know just a basic part of your whole financing uh, backstop. Yeah, yeah. you got to have a net, and it, the net doesn't guarantee you a profit. It just establishes a platform that you can rebound from. Gene, um, I wanted to ask you one other area. A year ago, I billed you as a guy who was planting corn, soybeans, and wind towers. And you've gotten a few wind towers on your farm. Are you still economically satisfied with this or operationally satisfied with the way that they are dealing with you from the company that owns them? And uh, can you project that into the future? Well, the future is always opaque. Who knows what that'll bring? But, you know, we have three wind turbines, and we've had them now since 2016, so they've been around a while. But in our particular case, they're not intruding on anything that we would normally do anyway. Uh, The roads that were constructed into the turbines were exactly where our traffic pattern uh, was and continues to be and needs to be. Uh, And we have had virtually no issues. Uh, There's been you know, a concern about maintaining some of that structure of the roads going into the turbines. And and they've been a little bit slow on the uptick to get that done. And um, that's the only complaint that I've heard uh, from guys that have turbines is uh, maintaining uh, the structures. Because when you get rain, I mean, you're going to have erosion. You're going to be, you know, drainage tubes that are need to be replaced and so forth. But, uh by and large, they constructed it very well, and uh, it's just not been a 
been an inhibitor for doing anything we want to do. Now, that doesn't mean to say they're not unpopular in uh, in the area and the community, and there will always be that opposition. There will be that opposition, and whether it's wind turbines or, or solar panels, I don't think it makes any difference on that yeah. regard. Even radio towers. Even radio towers. Even at cell towers. You know, the, the most obnoxious thing is the lighting at night because they all blink at the same time. And if you've got 100 turbines lined up in a 20-mile strip and you got this line of blink, 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 blink going on, drive you nuts at night if you watch it. But it's like anything else. Once you live in it long enough, you got to ignore it. Well, I only have one question more for you, and that is after you have described this year in detail and financial detail, and I greatly appreciate you putting your numbers out there as a farmer, are you still dissatisfied? Always. Uh, there's got to be some <laughs> way of, of eliminating some of these issues and problems. You know, and, uh, you know, we're looking at uh, – uh, you know, like getting some equipment that will be adaptable to seed uh, cover crops, perhaps, or renovate the pastures. We know that our our cow pastures this year are just being decimated because of uh, wet conditions and uh, being all winter without ground being really frozen, except here for a short period of time. Now it's miserable. But, you know, we know that we've lost a lot of our good grass stands going to have to be renovated. We're going to get the productivity off of it. We want more tons of forage per acre off of it. And so, you know, we're looking at, you know, like a no-till drill that will go out and renovate uh, some of those pastures, maybe seed some cover crops. We're not big into that yet, but uh, we'll do it where it's appropriate in our feeling. Gene, always a pleasure to talk to you. I wish you and your son well as you farm that operation. And uh, I'll make it a point to be back with you later in the year to see how things are going in 2024. That's right. Thank you, Ken. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to People in the Know. I'm on the hunt for guests to interview. If you have suggestions, contact me at this email address, kenroot at gmail.com, K-E-N-R-O-O-T at gmail.com. Have a great week. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down, come on brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about